Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. And here we are again, another month, another week, and another amazing episode with an immortal immigrant. Of course, every week, I want to thank you, Immigrant Nation, for your continued support. I also want to thank some of you that have been sending me beautiful and encouraging messages through our social media account. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you. For the ones who are wondering how to get in touch with us, maybe you just want to say hi, or maybe you you want to come on as a guest on the podcast, you can hit us up on all the social media at An Immigrant's Life, or you can email us at animmigrantslife at yahoo.com. I'll be waiting for your messages. Before we get to the episode, I'd like to send my greetings to my home country, the Philippines. This Sunday, the 12th of June, is Philippines Independence Day. So I just want to give a shout out to my home country. I hope you enjoyed the celebration. I hope it's peaceful. Anyways... I'm dedicating this episode to my home country, the Philippines. And because of that, I invited a guest that is Filipina and very proud to be a Filipina. And I'm sure you're going to love her as much as I loved recording with her. I've talked enough. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a lawyer, a fashionista, and a fellow podcaster. She's as majestic as the walling walling flower and as brave as the Philippine eagle. Everyone, please welcome Christine Abrigana. Hi, everyone. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. Maayong hapon? Maayong hapon, maayong adlaw. Oh, is it maayong adlaw? Because I wasn't sure because you're like in the middle, you know? Um, I mean, technically, you're right, Mayung Hapon, but nobody actually says that among Visaya speakers. Really? So we go for Mayung Adlao for just like generalized good day and good afternoon. But um, we do say Mayung Buntag if it's like morning, early morning. So we emphasize the mornings and then Mayung Gabi'i for, for evening. Yeah. Man, I wish I speak more dialect. Filipino dialect. <laughs> I encourage my friends who are Northerners. Um, I encourage them to 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 learn at least one other Filipino language because I think it bridges the gap between you know the many cultures and traditions and languages in our country because uh, we're so unique and diverse. And I think just speaking another language really helps. Um, so my mother actually spoke. I think she spoke three or four she knew Ilocano um, Hiligaynon and then of course Bisaya and then and then she knew generalized Tagalog but because she was married to somebody from Laguna so my 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 ex-stepfather uh, she also knew the colloquialisms of um, the San Pableños in Laguna so she was she was really good at that and people really loved her for that because they felt very seen very embraced by her speaking all these languages like she really tried so yeah go ahead I mean there's so many online good online courses free and not for free um, so yeah something to think about <laughs> yeah I'm so envious like Tagalogs are so lazy man <laughs> 
Yeah, because you're the default, man. Because everybody it's tells like, you you're the default. That's what we like. That's it. Like, hey, you, we're the Tagalog. So you're speaking to yeah. us. You know what I mean? You're like, like oh. the Americans. Like, you think everybody speaks Tagalog or everybody I, speaks I English. I hate it. <laughs> like, obviously, in growing up, I was an idiot. Well, I'm still an idiot, but still, you know? Like, yep. I always like, oh, no, you're speaking to us because we know we're the Tagalog, you know? Then as yeah. I got older, I'm like, what an idiot. You could have spoken, you know, Ilocano or Kapampang. Yeah. Or my yeah. dad is from Biko. He could have taught mm. me Biko, you know? But I'm like, nah, Tagalog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's never too late. I, I tell, like, I, I I meet people who are like you, you know, you're, you know, you, you obviously grew up there. And I meet people who... Um, who are maybe half Filipino or who are full Filipino, but have been born, you know, they grew up somewhere else and they've never been taught any languages. And I said, it's never too late. As long as you have air in your lungs and your heart is beating, you mm. can still learn it. Like people can still learn it. Um, so yeah, don't, don't regret it just yet. As long as you're alive, you can still do it. <laughs> Such a positive outlook. I love it. No, it's true. You know, like uh, I never thought I'd be a podcaster and learn a little bit about, you know, podcasting, let alone, you know, small, you know, small scale editing. Mm. Um, I still need help with my own editing, but I can edit some of my other stuff. And here I am, I've got like such a stupid new laptop and some software. And I suddenly understand like, oh, now I also need to know how to edit videos, you know, if I want to do like audiograms. Like who knew that, you know, my in my late 30s, I'd be still learning new skills. So yeah, um, when it comes to learning, I'm a very positive person. When it comes to other things, okay, you can ask <laughs> me later. <laughs> That's funny. Since you mentioned your podcast, why don't you tell the Immigrant Nation where they can reach you or wh whatever you want to promote? Yes, of course. So I host two podcasts. Uh, one is Lagim, a Filipino true crime podcast. And um, as the name implies, it's all about true crime and cases from the Philippines. Um, I am on my third season, so I think we're we're past half now uh we're, we're sort of mid-season now so I, i'm at episode nine next week and i release every other friday um if i'm lazy sometimes i do it on a thursday and just sleep in on a friday um <laughs> uh yeah so major podcasting platforms they all have my podcast apple podcast um google um i think i'm on amazon music even right now i think i i, I submitted my podcast to them and you know spotify i've got an instagram account and other social social media accounts where people can reach me. Um, so it's just at Legim Podcast. Um, my other podcast is Asia in the Shadows. Um, so as the name implies as well, it's all about true crime. And that's sort of more generalized Asian true crime cases. I release every week on a Wednesday. And that's more of a, um, it's not too deep divey like Legim, mm. um, but still very interesting cases. Some very horrible ones uh, I can't help it looking at you Japan I don't know what you're going what you're doing in there but you have really interesting cases but yeah so I covered I, I tried to cover as many countries as I as I can um you know as a result of my research but um you know, it's been a running joke now among some of my followers that there's always going to be a case from Japan in each season because they just have too many interesting cases. Mm. So if you are a fan of true crime, definitely listen. Um, if you're not a fan yet, then do give it a go. Do give it a try. 
Um, I, I'd love to think that my podcasts are not sensationalist in nature, so it's not offensive to the victims. I always try to be very careful and, you know, empathetic um, and respectful. So um, I hope that if that is something that appeals to your listeners, then yeah, give it a go. And mm-hmm. I'm also on Instagram. So it's at AITS pod for Asia in the Shadows. Mm-hmm. I have to be honest, your podcast, I love and hate it. Love. <laughs> Love. I get that a lot. <laughs> it's so well done. I mean, it's so journalistic. You try your best to really do the research, but mm-hmm. hate it because, again, it's crimes and people, yeah. you know, unfortunately. Like, yeah. there's so much, so, much, so much stuff there. But I want to talk to you about the game later. I want to focus yeah. on Christine. <laughs> okay. And I know that you were born in Germany. Mm-hmm. Do you remember living in Germany? Yes, I do. I do. Um, I spent my, I think the first almost six years of my life in Germany um, before my parents um, decided to split up and my mom took me uh, back to Davao. And I turned, I think I turned six in Davao, if I remember correctly. So it Mm -hmm. it would have been almost six years in Germany from birth till that time. Mm -hmm. How did mom end up in Germany? She ended up in Germany. Oh, my God. Like the the version she told me when I was younger was that um, she she was working at a publishing house in Davao. And this was um, sort of smack bang in the middle of martial law. And life was hard. And, you know, um, for somebody in Mindanao, it's even harder because, you know, you know, you you're you're basically not really paid attention to um, being so far away from the capital. Um, but she was actually she said she was doing well, but then she also got a bit disillusioned. Um and she felt like things were going to get worse. So she started, I think what she told me, she started joining sort of this pen pal agency thing, but I think it was a dating agency of sorts. <laughs> and, <then> she, <laughs> and she ended up having all these male pen pals from mm. all over the place. And two guys stuck out, one from Aussie, so from Australia. Um, and she had a picture back back when I was a child. She she held on to that picture, which I now retrospectively I'm thinking, that was a weird mom. Come on. Um, <laughs> and the other one was my dad. And I was like, oh my God, dad was already balding at like 50 or 40 you know Mm. um so they they wrote back and forth and wouldn't you know my mom the adventurer that she was she said you know fuck it I'm just going to say yes to one of these guys and I just want to get out of this country because you know it's hard and it's becoming dangerous um and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in my next episode at La Game so you know listen to that (laughs) um because there's, there's a tidbit there that's going to be interesting and vital to the next case. I'm not going to say anything now. Um, so, yeah. And then in 1983, towards 1984, she landed in Germany um, with the, you know, the sole purpose of marrying my dad, becoming a mom and working as a midwife because she was a qualified mid- midwife in Davao uh, for some time after that. Um, and then by 1984, there I was, you know, the daughter that she wanted, apparently. Um, and that's that's how she landed there. She was amongst the, I think I would say she was amongst the second or third waves of medical professionals from the Philippines um, that were admitted to Germany because there, there was a nursing and midwife sort of shortage back then in Germany. Um, but that she, she ended up 
actually leaving the medical profession because she hated it and she wanted to be a businesswoman, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, negosyante. Negosyante ang ano, pangingisip. <laughs> <laughs> Man, the balls of that woman, eh? Yeah, I mean, she's always been like that. I think I got it from more like the sense of adventure, like, she just dives into it like yeah whatever you know mm. um but she never she's never really done it sort of in a selfish way she knew that when she gets to germany um she'll be able to get a better job and support my lolo and lola you know in a better way and her younger siblings because she was number six of hold on number six of 13 kids but why her why did she put that burden on herself to be the person the breadwinner I don't know. I mean, she was not the only, you know, the only one, you, you know, earning the money. Like my my grandparents were still very much, you know, the farmers that they've always been. And, you know, um, at some point life did get better, even for, you know, those who were farmers. And then sort of the, the first five kids were also on the farm or doing, you know, whatever they were good at doing. But she was the one who's always wanted out, mm. out of the province, out of Davao. When she was out of the province, she wanted to go to Davao City. When she was in Davao City, she wanted to go somewhere else. And that's that's how she landed in Germany. She always looked for greener pastures, I suppose. Mm. And she always knew that she could do better. And she she just, she was so comfortable getting out of the comfort zone. And that's, that's always been her, um, sort of her personality um but yeah she she always had a great sense of responsibility i don't think anybody really put it on her but she felt like she had that she had to do it yeah Mm. and then after going to different places she decided you know what i'm going back home yeah i think for her it's um I think she she said I've achieved what I wanted to achieve you know and she realized that life abroad has its good sides you know the money is good social security medical insurance those kind of things but then she had her fair share of racism you know Mm -hmm. um against her um there were a lot of cultural differences that could not be reconciled in the end um she suffered a lot during winter times um because she had some joint issues Mm -hmm. so yeah and um yeah, I, I guess she didn't really want to coexist with my father at that point. They eventually became friends, but they mm. didn't. She didn't want to coexist in the same country, even <laughs> in the same city. Um, so she thought the best thing to do is to take whatever money she had and invest it in the Philippines because it would be of bigger value anyway. And that's how she um, she said, "Yeah, I'm just gonna go back and see what life has in store for me back in Davao," which. I suppose was a good move because Davao was then up and coming at that point. Like the skirmishes of the 80s and 70s were sort of like fading away and Mm. we were heading to sort of a better direction and people were investing in Davao again. Um, I remember the Japanese were putting a lot of money at that point and people were scrambling to like be in business with them or sort of adjacent to them. And my mother really wanted a slice of that cake as well. So, yeah. Mm, That's awesome. How about real Christine? How was her life in Dabao? Oh yeah, um, I, there were there were bad times, but um, there were hard times at the beginning because beginning somewhere else from you know if you've moved from anywhere else will will always be a bit difficult. How was your school life? 
Oh gosh. Well, I stood out, you know, <laughs> I stood out like, like the whole way through and I kind of hated it. Um, I hated that I stood out. I didn't like the extra attention, Why? but I, I just didn't like the extra, extra attention. Like, sure. You can appreciate sort of like, I, 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 I always told my mom, like I appreciated what I'm complimented for, like doing good, like being intelligent, being smart. But then when I'm picked out because you're tall, your, your hair is not black, you know, and you know, your I'm, fair skinned. Yeah. My fair skin and all that. And then, and then at the beginning, there was a lot of bullying in grade school because that's just very typical. And in high school, you know, if people, high school is already tough as it is, you know, and if you stand out, I felt like back then you better stand out for all the right reasons that people will envy you for, because if it's, if it's the opposite, I'm here up number high, people will make it really hard on, you know, for you the whole mm. four years. Um, but then what I did was I was very um, active in school government. You know, um, I really tried to be like the overachieving leader mm. so that I can be untouchable and I become like sort of an authority figure, like have a little bit of power. And I think that that um, repelled a lot of the bullies towards like second, third year, second year, third year, fourth year high school. And I really did well with contests. Like there's an art contest, like, yeah, oh, oh, me, I'll do it. You know, there's a poetry contest, me, I'll do it. You know, because I thought that the more I got credit for being the smart leadership type of person, the more I'm protected from the bullies. And it worked. It actually worked in the last three years of high school uh, because I couldn't be the popular girl, you know? Like I was not, you know, the beauty standard back then for, for you know, at the Neo High School back then. Um, it's always like the the petite, small dancer, um, cheer, cheerleader, cheerleader type uh, back in my high school. Mm -hmm. um, so like, oh yeah, I can't, I can't do that. I cannot be the belting singer from the glee club right i cannot be young i cannot be the the overly uh flexible dancing queen um so i said you know, you got to do something you got to do a combination so you got to be smart you got to be a leader you got to be student government so yeah um there's some people who hated me for it because they thought i was really bossy but i'm like well this is just going to be my personality until i survive high school but yeah that's how i survived high school back then yeah it was it was it was weird but i did enjoy parts of it as well what do they bully you for um, because you know, first of all, I stood out because of my height and and my appearance. Um, I'm, I'm I'm plus size. I um, you know, they made fun of the German thing, so they would do they would do a lot of Nazi and Hitler things oh that they did not know about. <laughs> so they would do stuff. I'm just like, I like you don't know anything about Nazism or Hitler, right? And you're just like saying things that you might have read on the internet the internet was in its infancy like it was mm -hmm. a primordial soup of what the fuck everywhere on, on on the internet and they would just make weird jokes that they did not themselves like un understand but of course i understood because i knew that's my that's part of my heritage um, <laughs> and then um what else did they bully me for in grade school it was i loved dancing but i don't think i was really good at it but i kept doing it until one person came up to me and said you know there's a whole group of of boys who are like talking about you because your dancing is so crap i'm like is it really like i didn't really realize you know because <laughs> i was such in my element like oh my god i'm such a dancing queen and then that's when i realized mm, okay no you're not a dancing queen take it down a peg um 
Yeah. So that, that was, those were the common things, you know, that you learn because you really need to survive mm. um, school kids um, being a school kid yourself. Um, so those were the kind of things that I usually got bullied for, but that all kind of went away, I guess, after second, third year or fourth, when I applied my method of being the slightly bossy leader, leadership person. Um, Cause you, you just need to survive. You need to find your niche in high school and survive mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. for those four years. Yeah, such a weird cosmos, really. <laughs> yeah, high school is such a weird thing. I was more of a in the middle of nerd and jock at the same time. Oh wow! Okay, that's a combination. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I have a group of guys that I hang out with. The nerds, you know, very simple, which I like. You know, we don't do nothing silly, just very basic study, whatever. And then I have friends because I love basketball, and I'm pretty okay with it. So I hung out with the jocks. Right, okay. But I don't like the jocks because they, you know, they're jocks. <laughs> they're jocks. You know, they like the girls. They like flashy things. And I was yes. poor. I didn't have money. They were, they <laughs> did, they had money, you know. They have new shoes. They have the new Jordans. They have the new whatever. Everything, I'm like, yeah. I don't have nothing, you nah, know. Yeah. So it was kind of hard to go with them. And I just didn't like the drama of, like, you know, girls and the politics of it. Yeah, yeah. Because there's, there's always something about the girls going on because the hormones are in, insane. But with the with the guys, it's the same. At least in my high school, there was always something like, yeah, you know, that week um, X, Y, X, Y were together and then X broke up with Y and X is now with another one. There was always like a soap opera going on. Mm. And I just remember if you just make friends with the right people as well, not really, you don't have to be close. You don't have to sacrifice your principles. But if people knew that you are sort of acquainted with them, then that gives you a bit of street cred. And mm. I remember I went to a church because my mom, you know, I'm basically a, a church kid, grew up in the church as well. Um, never really liked it, but never told my mom when she was still alive because it would have <laughs> broken her heart. But in that church, there were a lot of like big names, um, both in Davos celebrity show business, because we've got Ang TV, you know, and our own ABS, uh, noontime show that is ABS. Mm. So, and there were people from that area in there, and there were some politicians as well and their kids in there and when they saw me and I would go sometimes for like the midweek I don't know evening bible session whatever and they would see me I'll be in my uniform and they recognize me and they say hey you go to Adeneo like yeah yeah like oh I know you yeah so then I made friends with them in church and then we're back in campus we'd say hi hello and everybody's like oh my god you know him you know and he was like one guy, oh my God, I hope he doesn't listen to this because I think he lives in Canada. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is one guy, he was the son of a counselor, um, um, Sadavao, and really one of the good looking, intelligent, pisoy, guapo, everything. Like everybody loved him, right? Mm-hmm. And then this one time I remember because I, I didn't know he, he went to the same church, but then we made friends in church. I said hi to him at the corridor, um, um, you know, sa quadrangle namin or sa corridor somewhere, so high school. And everybody was just like, oh my God, Christine knows him, you know? And then suddenly you could feel like there's a new respect earned, mm. you know? <laughs> and that's how you build your street cred in high school. It was so silly. And I remember like, 
looking back, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even like the guy that much, you know? Like, I just felt like I had to, I had to like have that rapport with him. Mm. But you do, you need to do what you need to do to survive. But yeah, that's yeah. high school. It's just so annoying, you know? Like, looking so ridiculous. back. Ridiculous. So like, st- why? 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 It was like I, like I said, with me, it was like, I, since I hang out with the jocks, I go to yeah. the cool parties. Oh, see, you yeah, know I mean? my so mom would how- never allow me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the thing I like. But the funny thing is, sometimes my cousins will be like talking to, well, you know, whatever, whatever friend of or acquaintance. They're like, oh, do you know this group of guys? Like, yeah, those are my, my brother, my cousin's friends. And like, mm. who's your who's your cousin? And they'll say my name and like, I don't know him, <laughs> <laughs> which I love because I can hang out with them. And yeah. I don't have the drama that comes yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know? were you were you were towing the line there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's all about strategies. You know, you got to have your tactics. <laughs> exactly. You know, did you date anyone in high school? Oh, here's the thing. My mom was so strict. Um, <laughs> I all I I kind of quasi dated somebody from church though, mm. and then I had a manligo back in our subdivision, but. My mom had spies. I swear to God, she had spies. Because I remember in first year, after the sports day activity, we would have that sort of in the first couple of weeks after school starts. I cut classes. I cut classes. I went to the mall with a few friends. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, let's go to this smaller mall. Um, so then we were there, we're eating our food, and I kept looking over my shoulder. I swear to God, my mom will, will be here any minute. <laughs> she can't be. She can't because I knew she was somewhere in a business meeting somewhere in the south of the city. And I'm and my school is sort of in the in the sort of western side of the city. So it can't be. It can, just can't be. Unless she's she's a superhero and she can't be projecting herself somewhere else. It can't be. But little did I know, one of the one of the cashiers at the food court knew her but i didn't know her right so i was there enjoying my life cutting classes giggling with my girls went back to school got picked up didn't say anything for like two weeks and she said oh anak don't, don't you want to eat merienda with me sure on a sunday very 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 chillax my mom knew how to do this so good mm. and she said so um, how was, you know, the two Saturdays ago, how was, how was that food that you ate at this food court at this time of that day? I'm like, what? And then I just remember my face, like I felt it flushed and I was red and I felt like sweaty, my palms. And I'm just like, mom, I'm so sorry. How did you know about that? Well, you know, I have my spice everywhere in the city. I'm like, what? After that, I never cut classes again, I swear. I never cut classes after that. I was, yeah, never, ever again. Um, so I didn't date, essentially, but I had, you know, yung, yung mga almost, almost lagi, yung mm. mga patago, like you mm. always have to hide things. I had, I had a couple of those, but I was so scared of my mom that she would find out that maybe a teacher would see us and that teacher would run to my mom. Like, yeah, mm. everything was possible at that point, you know. Basically, she worked at the CIA. That's that's what I thought back then. <laughs> Did she hit you? Um, you know, yeah. I mean, palo, yung typical na palo, you know. Yeah, nothing crazy. You know what I mean? Like you get a chinela somewhere on your your, your butt when you're doing something mm-hmm. bad. So I got that. Um, it it. I think back then it was just 
it was so glamorized and it was so accepted um, that, you know, if we knew what we know now about hitting children and trauma and all that, that would not have been a thing back then. But back then, um, ano, kinukupara namin yung sarili namin sa isa't isa, kami mga magkakaibigan. Oh yeah, because my mom totally used a belt on me last night. You're like, oh, I'm gonna one-up you. Ginamit yung hanger, you know? Mm-hmm. That was that was this conversations back then, and it's horrifying to look back, but that was our reality. At least that was sort of me and my cousins and my friends' reality. Like, our parents hit us with the chinelas, you know, or, you know, when medyo, you know, yung, yung ginagaroon sa tenga, you yeah. know? Um, So yeah, that was our reality. That was that was a part of our childhood. Yeah, I like that. I think you're the few people that says that talks to other people or friends about being hit. I never yeah. talk to nobody. Really? No, it's like you oh. get hit, you quiet. Oh, you don't say no, anything. We, yeah, but we. But I remember talking to people who are my age. Like we would never talk to like somebody who's older. No, same. To tattletale, you know, it was just sharing like, oh my god, like last night was really bad, you know, and you know this, this, and that happened, and we never. And the thing is, I think we we thought it was so funny, and we thought that we were so much better than than the spoiled younger generation because we always think that the younger generation is like crappier and more spoiled, and mm. we tell. Yeah, I remember me and my cousins. We would tell sort of the younger cousins, "Oh, you have it so well." Hindi kayo pinapalo sa poet ng chinelas. Back then when we were younger, you know, we were so well-disciplined. You know, that was a mm. conversation back then. But in that context, we thought it was funny and and, and valid. But we weren't, I, I don't think the conversation was ever, oh my God, I feel so traumatized about being hit. Back then, it was just part of your childhood. And it was even funny. Like, I think the funny was more of a self Um, self-preservation mechanism, but yeah, mm. that was. I think the few people that I that were in my circle were quite comfortable talking about it. Yeah, we didn't. We just it, <laughs> it, it's like more of shame. Yeah, if you get All hit, right. it's more of shame. Like, yeah. okay, be yeah. quiet. You did. You mess up. You don't do nothing. You don't say anything. So we even don't. with friends, like school we, friends, we don't we don't talk about it. Yeah, we just know like, oh shit, went down yesterday. That's yeah. it. Oh my! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's more for pride, I guess. Pride, yeah, yeah. It it can be. I guess if you don't trust, really. I think for me it was trust. Like I knew we had the same backgrounds. I knew our parents had the same temperament and the same type of, you know, um, the discipline, um, uh, the disciplinarian type type of parents. So we mm. felt comfortable because I think we empathized with each other that. We have we're having the same upbringing at the moment, and we can share that, and it's funny, you know. Um, but I think maybe, maybe, maybe I can, I can, I can only, I can only um, hypothesize now that maybe the bigger fights, the bigger hittings, maybe those were the ones that hindi in Shinair, those are the ones that didn't didn't get talked about a lot because they're 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 hittings and then they're hittings, right? Oh, we they're got ones hit, hit. Who, you know, hit hit, and then you've got like oh, you medyo palu palu lang yun on, yeah. um, and maybe those are the ones that we didn't talk about. But back then we were quite open about oh, pinalo yung you know yung puetko or yung um a ruler i was hit by a ruler on my on my hands or something um so, so those sort of conversations back then but amongst cousin i think we were a bit more candid but also maybe not to that extent but mm. yeah 
talking about trauma, do you feel traumatized now or you're, you understand um, it more? I've only really unpacked this um, in the last couple of years. Mm. And I've definitely talked to a former therapist about it. And I think there is trauma from the hittings, hittings, the bigger ones, um, because there's a lot of, um, like you said, there's also shame. Um, but back then, you don't realize that it was shame, you know, um, there's a lot of guilt and also self blame. Mm. And really, what what my therapist said about it, and what I would gather from other friends who have now learned to unpack that and talk about it and other friends who are from the Asian culture. Cause I've got a friend from, you know, from India, the Maldives, Pakistan, and we sort of have the same vibe when it comes to like, you know, children being disciplined. Um, and we talked about it and apparently we always felt like, yeah, we've done something wrong. We've done something wrong. And then their therapist, my therapist sort of said the same thing about, well, whatever it is that you've done something wrong, you're a child, you're doing child things. Mm. Um, you couldn't know better. Your brains were not even developed to, to its fullest potential. So you should never have been hit, you know, in the first place because you were childish because you were a child, you know, you were acting accordingly, you were acting your age. And there was absolutely no reason to feel guilt, shame, self-blame, to feel like you did something wrong. And it is more of a reflection on your parents. And all of us were kind of like coming together, like now in our late thirties and just like, oh shit, you know, now we need to unpack this. Now we need to like question if this has informed some of our decisions as young adults and now older adults leading you know heading into our 40s um and that's still going on like i have a friend that i talk to regularly and we share what we talk about in therapy and it's mind-blowing like uh, what our culture and what our, what our upbringing and what our parents did or say or did not do or did not say ha had all an impact on how we are now as adults and it's mind-blowing like i we've only scratched the surface like millennials are yeah a bit fucked up but you know we're working on it essentially we're good, <laughs> we're, good. I don't, we're working on it <laughs> for myself i was I, I didn't get mad when that i got hit mm. yeah there are some times that like come on man i didn't deserve that one yeah yeah there's some that like yeah i kind of deserve that one <laughs> But even then, according to like, you know, what you know now about like mental health and all that, even then you were just acting like a child. Sure. You might have been like no. a really stupid Trust me, if you knew me child. when I was young, they're like, yeah, that one you deserve. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I firmly believe that, you know, if you're 16 and you've done something stupid and, you know, you're 16, what yeah. the hell? You you're know? dumb. It, this, you're it dumb. Is. You really don't know anything. Mm. Um but yeah, like, yeah, like I said, there, there's so much to learn and unlearn. Mm. And I hope that at least for our generation, that we, we can be open about either talking about it or open uh, for, for putting ourselves to therapy, because it does help a lot talking about it. Mm. Um, I was quite resistant at the beginning, but then, you know, I was offered sort of like, yeah, do this eight week thing. Let's see where you get. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is actually quite good. You know, mm. there's a lot of crying, but <laughs> Um, 
But it helps. It helps. Because hindi pinag-uusapan sa kultura natin eh. So no. in the Philippines, it's still very stigmatized, you know. I find it with with male friends, male Filipino friends, male cousins. There's still a very sort of macho perspective on it. Like, rub some dirt, rub some dirt on it. It's, you're going to be fine, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't you can't be feeling this way you can't be feeling anything like no 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 that's not push how we do feelings it down yeah push it all down you like swallow everything but like that's how our uncles and our fathers and our grandfathers all ended up the way they did with a lot of alcoholism as well and drug abuse <laughs> right you know like every day that's all trauma man you know mm. um so yeah, we're all just beginning to see all of that. Um, so I have hope maybe for the younger generations that, that they would not sort of grow up like that. They would not have to deal with that kind of trauma moving forward. Um, mm. But let's see. They've got a pandemic and World War III to deal with later on. Yeah, in their they have trauma. their own stuff, you know? <laughs> like yeah. with my kids, I tell them about my experiences that I got hit, this and that. I don't hit my kids, obviously. Not that because I'm on the podcast, but I, I really don't because I, I know yeah. how, you know, painful it was you know yeah, yeah. It, it sucked I, I remember one this one story that I know I didn't deserve the hitting mm-hmm. right so I was with my cousins and you know those video games like arcade games in like yeah. someone's house yeah so we're there it was like in our apartment buildings and there was one child there that he had a cross eye mm-hmm. so they used to make fun of him mm-hmm. and that day they were make fun of him me, I was hanging out with my cousin. I wasn't saying anything to this kid because I feel like that's not cool to say, right? And then the kid went to the mom and the mom went out of the house. We started running. Oh I my. ran because I felt like I'm in this group. I'm going to get in trouble too, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I ran away and go around the corner. Not Little did I know that the lady went to our house. Oh. And my cousin was our neighbor, right? I came home. Dude, no talking. It's just pa 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 pa. No, <laughs> see, and I started like, like while I was getting hit, I was kept on saying like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Like you can tell, you can talk to her. You can talk to her. Yeah. So I got hit. It was my aunt who hit me because she's the one who raised me. And then the lady came back because she wants to talk to the family and whatnot, whatever. If they're gonna press charges in barangay or whatever. And the lady was there, and I, I went up to the lady. I didn't do anything. You know I didn't do anything. And the lady mm. says, yeah, he didn't do anything. And I look at my, oh. I look at my aunt and like, say sorry, something. Yeah, but they won't. <laughs> no, they won't. The one thing that, that, that parents in that generation that did not do was apologize. Mm. They never apologized, mm-hmm. ever like nope. even even later in my in my you know before mom died like a couple years before she died and we we came i think i mean we've always been close but at some point when you are an adult your relationship also changes and it's more like a companionship friend yeah. friendship type of thing going on and even then we never talk about those moments we never talk about those maybe the unfair the unfair um the unfair type of beatings or the very horrible ones mm-hmm. even the petty ones the funny ones that you know i i, I said i would share with other people uh, we never talked about those it's like it never happened and now and and the thing that some of the people in that generation would say was that well you turned out fine because yes. of what your mom did to you you turned out fine look at you you're becoming a lawyer look at you you didn't get pregnant at 16 look at you you, you didn't you didn't become an alcoholic or a drug user i'm like 
Yeah, but I don't think it's owed to that. It's 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 me because I don't want to, you know, because I I know what I want in life. Yeah, but but you have to give credit to your mom because she disciplined you because she hit you, you know. I could have gone without the hitting, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, if, you know, back home when they say like they hit you, like because I love you. Yes. No, that's abuse, man. That's no, 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 no. We need we need to we need to really get rid of that notion. That is so dangerous and then because we always, and then we always say like well can you love me less <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and that's how you end up with for example a generation of women who would take all the hitting and emotional abuse from husbands li- mm. further down the line because it w- they were told that hitting is loving yeah and it's not you know and that's how my a lot of my aunties a lot of my cousins female cousins had stayed in a very, very toxic, abusive relationships because, yeah, apparently it's fine. And then, yeah. you know, it gets ingrained in your mind that, mm-hmm. no, it's all good. Hitting is good. Yeah. And then <laughs> Hitting you is add, nothing. And then you add the Catholic thing that, like, you know, divorce. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. Very much so. The culture plus the religion. There is no, there, 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 no, there is no boundary between those two. It's very enmeshed, even though, even though I would, I would, I would always argue that our Filipino culture, um, pre-Catholicism, pre-colonization is very, very different from how it looks now. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, with religion and play, but yeah. And then I start with that and everybody just leaves the table um, essentially. So yeah, yeah. you're the cook. <laughs> like, look at this talking about the, the water and everything. <laughs> Crazy yeah. person. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, if they're not ready to listen to listen to that, then you know, maybe the younger generation will. And I think I think there is hope there for the younger ones. Um, the way that I listen to my younger cousins, um, mm. they they are they're a bit more um, receptive to those kind of ideas, and I'm very very proud of them for that. Yeah, me too. They're kinder. They're kinder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And more... so much smarter. Yeah. Oh, tr- yeah. I'm like yo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm proud of them, you know, but still. Like, yeah. I want to be smart too. <laughs> <laughs> you so, are, but you're, you're your generation smart. We're our generation smart. We know what we know from, from what we've been taught and what we learned. Um, And we can learn from them. We can learn a lot from them. Yeah. Yeah. I've Who was that? A former guest of mine, Gelare Darabi. She's a, um, she's a journalist for Al Jazeera and whatever else. She mentioned that our generation is the healing generation. Mm. We're the one who's going to heal the, all the trauma that we went through. We, we're going to heal. And then hopefully we pass on that healing to the next yeah. generation. And yeah. they're the ones who's going to continue. Yeah. So we're, we're the ones breaking the cycle, you know. Trying, girl. Trying. Trying. Yeah. Hard. Well, I'm here. I'm going to be the fun auntie. I'm, I, I don't think I'm going to end up being a mother, but... Um, I'm the fond auntie and godmother, and I'm going to help with the breaking of the cycle. And that's why I talk to, you know, my friends, you know, those who have kids about breaking that cycle as well, because that's important moving forward. Mm. So then you decide to move back to Germany. Yes. So um, I originally wanted to stay in Davao for for college, um, but I think my mom really pushed me to to explore and, you know, embrace, I guess, the German side of things. (laughs) And I protested heavily um, in the year leading up to my my departure because I didn't really have 
much of a relationship with my dad. And I know that, that he got remarried as well. And that, um, even before meeting me, my, my, um, madrasta over there, my, my, (laughs) his wife back then and already ex-wife, um, some years later already hated me even before meeting me. So that as a teenager, when you're told that kind of information, you're hesitant, right? Like you don't, you, you, the whole point of being a teenager is you want to be accepted, you know, and if you already know that this whole adult is already hating you even before you arrive there, um, it already gives you some, 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 uh, some thoughts really about maybe not going, but my mom was like, no, go there, definitely go to law school, make friends, have a relationship with your father and all that. Um, so I did. So I did after high school, I think a couple of months after I graduated, I went on my own. So by August 20, no, 19, I don't even know anymore. It feels like forever. But yeah, I was there after my high school graduation. And um, yeah, started started to learn about my German heritage, which was a cultural shock to, to say the least. Let's talk about that. <laughs> what do you want to know <laughs> tell us what whatever you want to tell us um first of all the weather um that was that was um that was that was that was that was a culture shock i didn't even know that there were like four seasons i'm like what i know i've read about it somewhere but it was really four seasons um and then i had to basically start from zero um uh, with my father sort of having a relationship with him we were basically strangers um and and then I had to deal with the language as well. I forgot mm. most of my German. So I had to relearn and I had to go to this special school. And it was sort of intense German language learning from morning till afternoon, four days a week, um, until I was fluent enough to go to high school there, sort of senior high school. Um so yeah, that was one thing. And then I needed to learn about sort of the German attitude, you know, the German mentality, they are very direct. They're very frank. Um, and I like the fact that they all, they're all very efficient. So that stereotype is definitely true. And I like that they're always on time. They're very efficient. Um, but I didn't, I, I couldn't, I couldn't understand the whole being direct, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Cause we Filipinos, we kind of like to dance around things, you know, beat mm-hmm. around the bush sometimes, uh, not trying to hurt feelings, but with the Germans, they can definitely sort of, um, d- you know, they can, they can tell you things in a direct manner and you know that it's not a personal attack, you know, it's just them being professional telling you, for example, at work, your, your work was not good enough. You need to redo it. Um, and if you are not, um, if you do not understand that's just how the Germans are, then you can get hurt easily. But mm. if you know that it's just a professional opinion and you could still both have a beer later after hours, you know, then, then, you know, then, then that's, that's difficult. So I need to, I needed to learn that. I cried a lot, I think, in the first <laughs> first two years, the buckets and buckets and buckets of tears, because my dad was very German, you know, the school that I went to was very German in the end, the the senior high school that I that I went to. Um, it was an all girls school, it was very Catholic. And then all these German girls, like just being their German selves, and I could not, 
I could not be on the same wavelength, the same wavelength. And then I really had to learn. It took me around two years, I think, to truly understand how they are as a people and how different I am to them that I cannot fully identify as, as German. Like I know I always say that I'm both and I'm, I'm both German and Filipino, but I've never quite full, you know, fully identified as German because I, I feel very different when I'm, when I'm amongst them, you know, mm. there are just too many differences, even though I look like this, you know, um, but they themselves, when they look at me, they mistake me for something else. They don't even see me as German, you know, which is quite funny. Like the Filipinos will never mistake me for Filipino and the Germans will never mistake me for German. So I'm somewhere in the middle, which mm. is true, but yeah, that was sort of my German experience. And then after two years, I kind of got the hang of it the language as well, the culture. I've made some German friends, which I'm pretty proud about, you know? Um, yeah. And then I graduated from their high school, um, which is essentially grade 13. And after that, I was like, I kind of had enough of Germany. Let me, let me go. Like, you know, kind of like mom, <laughs> like mom, like, let me go somewhere else. Um, and then I kind of just went over the border to the Netherlands because I couldn't afford to go anywhere else. Um, but then I got bored there as well. And there were too many Germans for my taste, you know, <laughs> there were other Germans going to the same liberal arts college. I'm like, what is this? Like I went, I, 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 I got away from Germany only to land in a city so close to the border uh, in this university. That was quite nice, by the way, you know, everything was in English, but there's so many Germans. It felt like little Germany. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. So after that, I kind of escaped again. And then I landed back in Germany and after that, in England so and that's the that that's sort of the um fast forward version of it of how I landed in England eventually why did you choose England uh, first and foremost the language I just didn't want to deal with learning another language and also I didn't want to go back to Germany and and go to law school there mm. um and also, I was always, I've, I've always been curious about England, especially because I was such a big Harry Potter fan in high school back in the Philippines, you know? And I thought that everywhere in England would be like Harry Potter and, and Hogwarts, you know? <laughs> obviously wrong, obviously wrong. But, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed sort of my first couple of years as a student here because um, being a student here and being sort of an you know working adult are two different things obviously uh but being a student you meet so many different people from so many different parts of of the uk in general um and also the international students that it felt almost like hogwarts you know like oh very you know very diverse mm -hmm. um but yeah that's um that's that's sort of my experience and i, I kind of liked it you know i was very curious i was on my own literally there's i didn't know anybody in england mm. i i landed in liverpool and i remember i've not viewed my room i just said let me put down a deposit for this weird looking dorm room um it's small it's cheap and then i got there didn't realize how small it was it felt like a matchbox you know cuz literally a bed and a small study table that's all it was for like my whole first year but yeah i had a great time that's awesome and that's where you became a lawyer yeah so well becoming a lawyer in england is quite um a, quite a journey so after your three years of bachelor's you have to do two years of um 
um, sort of a on-the-job training. And then you can do, before that, you have to do a post-grad or you can do it um, in those two years where you're doing an on-the-job training. And I had sort of a difficult time following that linear path of becoming a lawyer because I graduated sort of just after the recession, the big world financial crisis. Mm -hmm. And life was really tough. Like you couldn't get, um, you couldn't get, I couldn't get a job even as a like store assistant back then in, um, in Liverpool. It was, it was tough. So I had to stop the whole lawyer thing after graduation. I went back to Germany again did my master's, worked for a little bit, and then resumed my lawyer journey in 2015. Um, and I qualified actually um, a few years later after that. But I've been working in the in the legal industry since 20, yeah, 2015, 2016. Mm. So why did you choose family lawyer? Um, I kind of fell through, uh, I don't know, like I fell into it. Um, when I did my on-the-job training, I, I worked for a local council, um, so local government, mm. and um, that was one of the more busy and interesting areas that they've worked in as a, you know, as their in-house legal department. And the cases that I've sat on were very interesting, very riveting to list to listen to, academically really, really good to immerse yourself in. And I thought, yeah, I think this is what I want to do. But I was still very unsure, even even after I qualified. Um, then I started working in that. And um, yeah, I first, so I worked for the local government, which is usually the entity that would bring the case to court and would take the children away from parents if they are abusing or neglecting the, the children. Mm. And then as a newly qualified lawyer, after I you know properly had my certificate, I was registered um, as a qualified lawyer. I then went to the dark side, as they would say, and I represented the abusive and neglecting parents, <laughs> which is quite a culture shock, but it was good training. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was sort of my trajectory. And then I kind of went back afterwards um, after almost a year, I went back to the local government side because I thought, no, nah, I feel more comfortable re representing the local government, you know, than the parents. Cause I had some very interesting clients and it was always a bit um, a roller coaster every day um, to be meeting parents who were in that situation. Uh, anyways, we have to talk about the pink elephant in the room. Oh, okay. The Philippine election. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, ask me questions and I shall answer. <laughs> well, what do you think of the result? Um, I think we saw it coming. I think mm. a lot of us were still hoping for like a U-turn, but I think we saw it coming. If we're if we're being really, really realistic and you know, um, honest with ourselves, we saw it coming, and I think. It's been coming since 2015, 2016. Um, but we were, I think, I think I can, I can talk, I can speak for a few people sort of in my age group and sort of in my, um, maybe the kind of people who are outside of the Philippines looking in, you know, um, and I think we've always, we've always known that there was a possibility that a Marcos would gun for a high position, but we didn't allow ourselves to be pessimistic. And um, what's the other word? I can't think of the word now, but we didn't allow ourselves to even um, think that maybe he would gun for the highest position of the land. And I think that's that's the mistake of 
those who wanted to prevent him from from getting to the top. We we always thought, surely not, surely not. No, you have to be sometimes be very apocalyptic and worst case scenario thinking about these things because stranger things have happened in other countries. And and I think now people have finally learned their lesson, but it is too late, but mm-hmm. maybe not not really that late. Um, yeah, I think the liberal side of things, you know, the anti-Marcos faction in the Philippines have grown really lazy and complacent after 1986, thinking that um, maybe the majority of Filipinos would never want to go back to that. Um, but I but as I said in in one of my Instagram stories a couple of days ago, there's always been this sleeper fraction within our Filipino society that has they've always been pro Marcos and mm-hmm. they've never changed their stance and they've always been strong and united. And we thought they didn't exist, but they've always been there, you know. And we and we who were anti, we. We grew complacent. We just chillaxed too much, thinking nothing will happen. Mm-hmm. And then when you really think about it, when you really look into like early 90s, um, when they when Aini and Bong Bong started coming back in 92, 91, I don't know which, which years exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Imelda started running for, I think, the governorship. And then somebody started somewhere else in Ilocos running for the governorship that's sort of trickling in all these Mm -hmm. smaller moves and steps already starting in the 90s you know and by 2006 they've won a couple of court cases or you know some of the court cases from the states um, were not enforced and we should have known back then that something something was brewing but we were so good in thinking that nah maybe not you know I'm not gonna lie to you I was in shock I you knew it was going to happen. Growing up, I was surrounded by pro Marcoses. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was like old people that actually went through the, the martial law. And they're like, yeah, it was fine. It was safe. There was nothing happening. I'm like, no, <sighs> you're not allowed to leave. And people were dying. What are <laughs> you talking about? People were dying. About? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. It was safe. It was safe. I'm like, all right, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what to, co- I don't know what to say. You know, yeah. you can't you can't really argue, right? You know. Yeah, and if you're younger, the older generation will always sort of like you know scold yeah. you. You weren't there. For having yeah for having a different opinion or for having I don't know they thought the wrong opinion. But yeah, I think yeah if if we had been more, I think if if our parents, I think had been more um, that generation, I guess had been more mindful about what was going on and not really view it as an impossibility, but would have taken sort of a worst case scenario view on things. Maybe it could have been prevented. I don't know. Um, I'd like to think so. Like, again, like I'd, I'd like to think positively about these things, but no, maybe at that time we should have been, no, we should never have allowed them back in. But then we allowed small, you know, like, little by little they were they were creeping back into society into politics and next thing you know you know they were also showbiz because i think one of Aimee's sons was a model or something so Mm -hmm. he was you know that was also represented and then um a lot of sort of the um distant manotoks or romualdeses they were also doing their thing in their regions so they were creeping in like little by little you know like little little cancer cells just building up metastasizing yeah. i'm probably going to be get, 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 getting in trouble <laughs> for saying that um uh for saying all that but um hey that's why i yeah. call you brave <laughs> 
no, but people already know where I am. Like, I guess somebody told me you can't go back to Davao now. I'm like, nah, let's see about that. Um, but yeah, I think we were just, people just grew complacent. And also maybe we were tired. I think maybe that generation and then our generation was kind of like, we were the hangover generation of the Marcos era. So after 1986, when we thought everything was great and safe, we kind of just like chilled. That generation was tired, was hungover. And we were the ones who were like, oh, sure. I think it's okay now. So we we had other things on our mind. We we mm. took care of other things. We tried to to achieve other things than being super vigilant about a Marcos coming back in from Hawaii. You know what I mean? So yeah, we were that that was that was that led to all this. And it's it's amazing to see that it only took 36 years. Like that yes. is I'm older than that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. older than that. Um so yeah, it's it's sad. It's really sad, but I've I've said that you know it might be too late, but not but we could still work on something. To I don't know I don't know what's the what's the goal now. I don't actually know what's what's the goal. Either what to oust him again and so three um, to combat disinformation. I don't know what's the movement now. I need to know because I'd I'd like to join, but I don't know. I think everybody is kind of grieving, and we're all still very fractured. So yeah. we don't know what don't do we know. want to achieve. I like to think about. I like to stay positive. I I'm. This is how I'm thinking. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, right now it's hard for him to. Like, I don't know. Like, cure the sins of his dad mm-hmm. because Imelda still is there. She yeah. is still the queen, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's say I'm thinking maybe if Imelda passes, maybe somehow she's like, you know what? Those were wrong. Maybe mm. I could make the, the country better mm. in my own way. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Because I, I, I told my other friend about this the other day that um, he has the... He has the chance now to to either go down a very dark path like his dad's dad or prove us all wrong. Mm. I'd like to be proven wrong. Like, please prove us all wrong. Right. Like if he starts. But the thing is, he needs to start with acknowledging what his dad did and that he was part of that machinery because he was not a an innocent child or teenager back then. He was a full grown man. He was governor of, I think. He was governor somewhere in the north yeah, at that he point. He was 30, 30 plus years old. Exactly. Um, so you cannot you cannot convince me that you are not aware, you were not part of it. You were you were part of the machinery. Mm-hmm. So you need to acknowledge what your dad did, what you did, what your family did, and then the healing can start. But then you also have to put your money where your mouth is by 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 paying reparations. Mm. You have to pay reparations. You have to make sure that there's something out there. Um, your ill-gotten wealth will be pulled back in because you cannot you cannot pay reparations from the kabandang bayan because that's our money. <laughs> you know, that's our money. You know, you cannot give us our money back. Like, what is this? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, so it has to be from from what you've stolen. You have to give that back, and you have to pay reparations, or you know, just something that would would let people, you know, understand and know that you are taking accountability because so far that's not happened. There's a clip that has surfaced on Twitter just today. 
Um, he's in Australia, I think, still right now, right? So there is there's a there's a Filipino Australian youth who, amongst the the crowd of wanting to take a selfie with him, and like singing his praises and screaming his name, this one tiny guy just comes up and says, what are you, what are you going to do about the victims of martial law? Like my parents, my grandparents, you know, he was talking really fast just to get his attention. Mm. And Bong Bong just looks at him and says, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And kind of just ignores him, starts taking all the selfies and walks away, mm. you know, because that that's been his stance for yeah. the longest time. Like just ignore, ignore, ignore. I like to think wow. it, the way I think of it is like, he has to please the pro Marcuses. And that's one way of doing it, right? He needs that vote. Also, he cannot say, yeah, that happened because Imelda is still alive. Yeah. But the thing is, because he has the presidency, because he has the power to even to convert his pro-Marcus faction to hmm. finally acknowledge and accept that this has happened because obviously the country is divided and we know that this has happened. We know that people have died. We know people have been tortured. There's a whole wall of remembrance at the Bantayog ng Mabayani or Bantayog ng Bayan. I don't yeah. even know. The, yeah. It's in my next podcast. How, how can I, how can I forget? Um, you know, it's very, it's very divisive. We're, we're a divided nation because we know it happened. There are people that are still suffering from that, from the trauma of that dictatorship and all the atrocities that have been done. And to not acknowledge it and to not influence your, your followers um, to acknowledge that will just continue the divide even after his presidency. Because this will be a running topic for, mm. for, for an eternity. It will yeah. always come up because there's a new generation of Marcuses coming up. Sandro is now in Congress or, you know, I don't know where he is, but he's elected somewhere. Um, there's a Manotok somewhere in Ilocos also, uh, one of Aimee's um, sons, I think. He is, he's won the election as well. There's a whole generation again of Manotoks and Marcuses who will gun for that higher position again oh, yeah. for the next generation. They will. They will. And this Definitely. will this will come up over and over again. So somebody has to take to take the hit here and dismay one side to acknowledge that this has happened in history. I don't mm. see any other way uh, for this to play out. I agree with you. Listen, yeah. I could talk about this yeah. for <laughs> days. Trust for days, me. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> that's why we eat extra rice now. <laughs> Oh my goodness! But we're getting there. But I want to talk to you about the Lagim podcast. Yeah, podcast. What was the inspiration to start the podcast? Oh, I just love true crime. You know, it's weird saying that, but it's probably not a love. Like it's, it's, um, it's a reverence that I feel for for stories like that because it's for me it's never just about the crime it's never for me it's never been about the gory part you know the real sensationalist i um details um for me it's 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 the people behind it the story of the victim because that's a person that that's mm -hmm. a whole person behind those stories with a history with loved ones missing them um for me it's also about the culture you know mm -hmm. when you listen to u.s true crime stories, it tells you a lot about the American mentality, you know? If you hear stories about Australia or Canada, it tells you a lot about Canada, it tells you a lot about Australia. And so for me, I've always wondered um, how it is um, with true crime stories in the Philippines, you know? Um, and that's how, you know, that that's how Lagim got started because I've asked myself that question and I, and I also saw that there was 
not a lot of representation there um, in the true crime genre uh, when, mm. when it comes to like Filipino content creators. But for me, I've always been curious about the the question of good and evil. You know, are we inherently good? And, you know, what was is there a point in our lives where something can corrupt us and make us evil or are we born evil mm. and we're only contained and forced to be good because of laws and rules, customs and traditions? So that kind of like, those kind of questions that that I've been posing since I was younger, um, and that kind of got me on 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 this you know this bandwagon of liking true crime so much because I've I've always been I like I like the old CSI stuff NCIS Law and Order, and then at some point I jumped on the true crime bandwagon and um, yeah never looked back since. <laughs> mm-hmm. How do you choose your subjects? Do you adhere to the listeners' wants or you talk about what you want? Half and half, half and half. Because I've I've got my own personal list of interesting cases that I've always wanted to talk about. Hmm. Um, and my listeners have um have the advantage of being in the country. Most of them are, like I think 80% of them are um in the country, and the rest is sort of in the diaspora. And they would know more from current affairs from news reports that there's something going on. Maybe you could talk about this. So I rely on them for newer cases, but for sort of the legacy cases, the older ones, um, I, I have my own list of interesting ones that I really want to go through. A lot of them are 80s and 90s cases that I've grown up with, you mm. know, like the Maggie de la Riva, Visconde and all that, Lipa massacre. Um, so those are the ones that I've been exposed to. Day in, day out, you know, and the movies from Car- Carlo J. Caparas, you know. Yeah, yeah. Remember was, those was, days, like in the 90s, they're like massacre every week. Every time. And there's a rape case every day, a murder case every day. So that's, that's you know, like no wonder I, I you know, I grew up liking crime fiction and true crime. Um, because that's sort of like, oh, you were just bombarded with images and nothing was blurred, by the nothing. way. Nothing it was, was censored. <laughs> It was like, oh, by the way, this guy cut their head. I'm like, what? Yeah, well, like, yeah, there's the head, by the way, you know, it's just there, all bloody. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I grew up. And um, you know, and I'm I've always liked news. I've I've been like, oh, TV Patro, I watch that shit. Magandang Gabi Bayan, yes, <laughs> watching it. And then in, in Germany would watch all like CNN and all the German stuff. Like I've always been really like I, I want to know what's happening. Um, and then realize I really just kind of tuned in more for the for the crime stuff in the end but yeah that is that is how my crime journey started and also i'd like to i in the past i like to read a lot of crime novels as well i don't have a lot of time to read right now but in the past yeah Mm. how do you corroborate the information um so i depend on the internet 100 percent um i look at different outlets but i also like to look at um, academic journals because hmm. um, uh, those are vetted and peer reviewed, right? So if they mention sources about a certain case, I would look up that. If I can find a Supreme Court document, I'd rely on that completely. Um, so for example, for the Magi de la Riva case, I relied on the Supreme Court document for the narration of the agreed facts. Um, if I don't have that, I'd have to put things together from different um, um, news outlets. Um, sometimes if, if I've got nothing, and I've had a few, I've had a few cases, I think, the more obscure cases where Almost nothing is reported about them. And I only have literally maybe a Reddit thread to go Mm. on and maybe a blog post, maybe a short YouTube video. And I really have to scramble all the little information that I have. And I have to like, when I record it, when I write the script, I always have to say allegedly, apparently, you know, (laughs) always put there a warning that 
I cannot confirm this, but this has been said by this thread. Um, I think maybe this is what happened. I give my opinion, I give my assumption, but I'm not representing it as the facts of the case. So that's what I do when I can't find anything. But yeah, that that's how I try to go on about it. So if that's the case, do you worry that you might be replicating or spewing something that is not true and spreading it? Always. I'm always in fear of maybe putting something out there that was not that was not vetted, that was not confirmed. So I start with the for example, so with, with a case that is new, for example, like the Maguad siblings, um, it was everywhere because this literally only happened, you know, um, a few months ago, back in December 2021. So you have you have Rappler, you have Inquirer, Phil Star, you've got ABS-CBN and GMA News, the five big ones who always report on things. And then, and then I kind of look at, uh, are they saying the same thing? Are there little details that differ? And then you go into the more... Um, traditional sources like the Manila Bulletin, you know, and then maybe you go into um, some of the YouTube videos from from bigger news outlets. What is it there that that kind of doesn't add up when you look at all of them together? Mm-hmm. And what are new information that you can glean from them? Um, and that's how I know that these are the things that have been confirmed by people on the ground. And these this one information that I can only find, for example, on Inquirer. I don't see that anywhere else. So maybe that's not confirmed. So I need to, to warn the listeners. I've only seen this in um, with one source. So please don't take this as, you know, the gospel truth, you know. So that's how I kind of warn against um, possible misinformation. Yeah. You're amazing, by the way. Every time I listen <laughs> to your podcast, you're like, yo, I wish I'm good like that, you know. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, man, you're so so clear so precise and so and you're honest you know like mm. you said like if you say something that oh by the way this is my opinion mm. that's boss because some people will just say whatever yeah and I'm, I'm i live in fear of of um of people misunderstanding that oh well you said that and you you represented that as a fact and then when I really didn't want to, so I live in fear of that. And I think that keeps me in check. So that those are my checks and balances. Um, and I think I've, I've got my law degree to thank that for that. Because when you are making an argument, you have to cite case law. You have to cite a legal principle that you're basing yourself on. If you're standing in front of the judge, and I remember standing in front of a this was a district judge back when I was in a law firm representing a very problematic parent. Um and then I said, well, you know, because of past evidence, this person has done this and this. And I think we got to give this mother a chance to take care of her baby. And I don't think it's right to be taking away the baby right now. And the judge just look at me and, you know, it's very intimidating. If you don't have papers or social worker records to prove that, yes, this person has been a good mother in the past and it's worth it's worth waiting for uh, for us to see how she takes care of this new baby. If you don't have that, you'll be talking out of your ass and the judge will shut you down right away. Mm. But because I had that, I was very confident and I was literally like three lawyers looking at me who are like in their fifties and sixties. And I'm just like shaking inside. Like, <laughs> God, I hope the argument stands because I really need for this mother to show up for herself and take mm. care of her baby. In the end, by the way, the baby was taken. I lost the case, but it's fine. Not my fault because she messed up her life um, on her own. But I had to make that argument at the beginning because I needed for the court to see 
that based on past evidence, based on past recordings, she was a good person. She was a good mother. Um, and I need them to give her a chance. And to be standing in front of a district judge with all these veterano lawyers, I was like, God, I think I'm going to collapse right then <laughs> and there. And I remember being so exhausted just from being so nervous that when I got home, I just slept. You know, I just slept because I was so I was so on adrenaline. Mm. And that's how I deal with with cases as well at Lagim. If I if I if it doesn't sit comfortably with me that what I'm saying is confirmed, is something that I can represent as a fact, that I would be thinking about this for for nights to come. And I have to like, I don't know, warn the listeners, put something in the show notes and just make sure that nobody misunderstands what I'm trying to say because God knows so, so, somebody from, I don't know, a pro Duterte or pro Marcus fashion will pick it up and then, mm. you know, dox me for it. You're done. Um, yeah. So I live in fear of that. So that keeps me in check. So it's, it's fine. It causes me anxiety sometimes, but it's okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Listen, Christine, I really do mm -hmm. appreciate you coming on. Dagang salamat. Why sapayan, as we say in Visaya. Why sapayan. Yeah. Before we close out, do you have any last remarks? For the yes, well, I want to thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. And um, if listeners um, want to suggest cases or if they're true crime fans, uh, my DMs are always open. I always reply. And yeah, if there are any questions about Germany from your fans as well or about England, they can also DM me. So I'd be happy to answer questions. So, but yeah, most, most of all, thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. Oh, you're welcome and have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you again, Christine, for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.